Awesome. Well, man, filling out pretty good. So we uh, today, as you guys have noticed, as you guys have walked in, we kind of started a bit earlier, or it may seem a little bit earlier, but really, we have actually started on time. So let's go ahead and give ourselves a round of applause there. Um, it's something that we'll uh, be paying close attention to, um, mainly because of, uh, man, our, our kids' volunteers in the back. They just serve week in and week out so faithfully and selflessly, and man, I get to, you know, parent one kid at home, and that's exhausting. I can't imagine being in there week in and week out with a bunch of kids and stuff, and it can be tiring, especially when your kids are just ready to go and, you know, start running around and stuff. And so, anyway, j just so we're mindful and we care well for um, our volunteers back there, um, we want to um, make it uh, as soon as possible uh, for us to be here to start at 9.30 again. So as uh, the rest of our folks will get the memo and we can encourage them to do so as well, that will be kind of a rhythm that we'll start each Sunday. Um, and uh, also, too, um, today is the fifth Sunday of April, which means it's the last Sunday, and next week is the first Sunday of May. And I don't know if you guys have heard, but that means first Sunday breakfast is right around the corner. And that means food, and a lot of it. So please, bring some food, bring a good balanced dish, or just bring, you know, whatever you want. And uh, some people bring, you said pork chops, um, fruit, whatever it may be, just bring good food. And uh, we'll have a good breakfast next week on the first Sunday. And uh, also, if you plan your meals right, you won't have to really eat at all on your own, because next Sunday night, we are having our family potluck over at Dunneen Church, and that will be at 5 p.m., this is the time for us just to get together and share about the last year and um, all that God has done in each of our ministries and uh, see, see kind of what's on the horizon and, and what's in play for, for, uh, for this coming up year as well. And so, again, that's at 5 p.m. We'll be bringing food to there as well. And so if you really, if you plan it out right, you won't have to miss a meal. And so, but I love food, so I'll probably eat lunch anyway. But um, so we'll, we'll send those reminders out again. And then uh, lastly... Um, Man, what was the last one, Matthew? We had one more. Uh, maybe. We'll see. If I think about it, I'll hit on it again. I know first Sunday breakfast was important. Actually, you know, no, I think we hit on all of them. We're good. Anyways, brain fart, early morning. Um, but uh, with that, um, if you guys would like to open up your Bibles, we will be in Romans chapter 8 today. Um, man, th this passage is uh, something that has really... Um, meant a lot to, to my heart. And it, it's a pretty common passage as well. It's something that carried me through, through the military, um, carried me through a time when, uh, you know, as a, as a young Christian, um, not living faithfully in a, uh, a local church and being discipled and stuff. Man, there's just a lot of times where I just felt like I uh, had thrown myself to the wolves. And there's a lot of times where, um, you know, it was easy to doubt God's love for me. And uh, so this passage really clung tightly, and it's even risen even more in depth in my heart um, as years have gone on, as I've been plugged into a local church. This, this passage has come alive even more. And so since we have been in Romans these past few weeks and uh, um, going through that, I figure we, we stay in there and we share this together. Um, because, man, as Matthew stated earlier, like, this is a time where us as a church, like, this is something unique when the people of God get to get together. This is, this is something that is not normal. Um, we don't get to just come here and just, you know, sit and kind of receive something and then leave and say hi and then go, and it's another part of our week. Like, 
man, we are a people that have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And every time that we get together, we get to sit under God's word and we get to sing praises to him and we get to partake in communion together as a church family. And so this is a time where, man, God doesn't just speak to us, but we also, during this time, man, we, we get to speak to others. We, we get to intercede on others' behalf as we hear God's word. People that come to our mind, church family that we get to um, live with regularly and love, man, this is a time for us to partake in the ministry that Jesus has given to us. So it's a special, special time. And so as we sit under God's word this morning, uh, man, I just encourage us to, uh, man, just, just rest in the beauty of what this day means for us. And so... Um, with that, I'm, I'm going to uh, pray, and then we'll go ahead and, and jump into to the text here. God, um, we just lift your name high. Um, Lord, uh, you know, we sometimes our, our hearts and our minds enter this space together, kind of reflecting what the weather has been like this past week, God. Um, rainy and maybe not as warm as we would like. Lord, a dreary, and um, man, sometimes that's just how we feel, Lord, as, as we walk this Christian faith, as we practically live out our lives to, to love you and to love one another, Lord, um, we come in here and life just, uh, it weighs us down, circumstances weigh us down, Lord, um, the enemy attacks, and uh, Father, I just, I just thank you for this time that we get to come and we get to rest as your people, and so Lord, I, I just pray that we would all be submitted under your word um, as we hear it, as we receive it, that you would just do a work in us. Um, give us rest, Lord. Help us depend on you. And, uh, Lord, that we would be um, guided to uh, just rest in your goodness. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I will probably frequently be taking water breaks because my mouth gets super dry. And so the first water break I'm going to take is right now. Um. So last couple of weeks, uh, Matthew had brought us through some really practical ways that we get to live our lives out as Christians. And really, it was encouraging to hear, continue to hear just the awesome ways that our church just practically lives this out already, that we get to love one another, and we get to trust God, and we get to love God. And man, we get to just simply live out the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the 600-something laws that were given to Israel to keep them in communion with God, to keep them from sinning. Man, Jesus said that those can be summed up in loving God and loving your neighbor. And so we heard some very practical ways um, to do that. And to put in context of why that was not just important for us, but important for this church in which Paul was writing to, to the church in Rome, man, it's drastic and it's very very important. You see, Paul, he was, uh, you know, as, as we call the, the greatest missionary, obviously besides Jesus, and he uh, was a great church planner, and his mind was always focused on, man, where does the gospel need to go where the gospel is not yet? Where does the gospel need to go? You know, Jesus had commanded his disciples to go make more disciples, not just in Jerusalem, but to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, the ends of the earth were thought of as Rome, but Paul was even looking forward to Spain, to go further out, to bring the gospel, to plant churches. And he knew that, man, if the gospel is going to move forward, then two things need to happen. One, the church needs to be unified. The church needs to be unified. If we want to make this home base in Rome, the church that is sending out 
the gospel to the next level, to the next place where it is yet not known. It's very important. You see, there was a lot of uh, uh, strife going on in the church because uh, the Jewish Christians who were living there for uh, quite some time, uh, churches have already been there before Paul had written this letter, but uh, about five or ten years before, um, roughly, uh, uh, the emperor had kind of kicked out the Jews. There was stuff going on. So that even meant the, the, the Jewish Christians as well. So they were gone, and the only people left were obviously non-Jews, Gentiles. Still Gentile Christians, but they were Christians like us who, man, we're not, we're not bound to follow the law of God. We have Christ as our law. Christ is the one who, in his righteousness, died in our place, and we get to follow him freely. And so as they're, as they're living this faith out, um, sometime later, a few years later, the emperor welcomes the Jews back in. So the, the, the Jewish Christians come back in, a minority group at that time. But these two groups now are butting heads against one another. And it is super, super intense because you even have the Gentiles looking down upon the Jewish Christians. And you have the Jewish Christians who are like, well, we're the family of Abraham. Like, we're, we, we are the called and chosen family from God. So you have two families inside of the same church going at it. And Paul knows that for the gospel to go to the unreached, there has to be a unified church in which the gospel is being sent from. And there have been many enemies of Paul who have even twisted the gospel. You can go ahead and read through Galatians, and you can see all about that. But Paul knew how important it was to present the right and correct gospel. So this entire letter of Romans is just a deep theological letter that is beautiful, hard to understand at times, but very, very beautiful. And so he wants to send the gospel to Spain from a unified church. So he even tells the Gentiles, you know, you guys are no good. Don't, don't, don't look down upon, upon the Jewish Christians. You guys, in fact, are so bad that your sins against God are abomination, and he's just left you to your own sins. Then he goes and writes to the Jews, and he says, and you guys think that you inherit eternal life or, or that you are better than the Gentiles because of your Jewish customs on, on top of the faith that you have in Christ? That's wrong. Because guess what? All people have fallen short of God's glory. All people. And the wages that we deserve, what we earn for our sin against God, whether you're Gentile, whether you're Jew, doesn't matter who you are, is eternal death. Is an eternity separated from the love of God, an eternity put under the wrath of God forever. That's what we deserve. So he's telling them that, no, Christ has unified us. We are unified by his blood. And even though today in our context right now, we don't have this Gentile versus Jew, but we still have a lot of just differences in general. We're people. We're all wired differently. We all have different things that we enjoy. We all have different, maybe, beliefs on this or that, second and third tier things. But yet, in order for the gospel to go out into our city, to go out even into our homes, into our workplaces, we have to be a unified church. So this is super, super important. So Paul wants a unified church. In this specific passage, he's also letting his readers know that there will be suffering. Christians will suffer. A unified people of God will suffer. In their context, there was some very physical, harsh persecution. We may not deal with that specific thing, but we will still suffer. We're human. We suffer. We struggle through sin. We struggle through relationships. We experience loss and pain. We will suffer. But the main point that he wants to give to his readers 
and not only to his readers, but writing to us as well today in 2023, is not only will suffering come, but when suffering comes, we know that no matter how deep it is, no matter how painful it is with the things that we're going through in life, no matter what it is, that God's everlasting love runs even deeper than any suffering that we may go through. It runs deeper than that. And because his everlasting love runs so much deeper than whatever suffering we may go through, because of that, we are victorious. Now, it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to read through and see just how deep the love of God goes for us. And so starting in verse 31, I'm going to read through um, verse 39, then we'll go back and just pick some things out that we observe. Paul starts and he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written in the Psalms, the writer says, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Man, that is some good assurance there. Paul starts off saying, what then shall we say to these things? What are these things in which Paul is talking about? Well, unfortunately, with our time, I can't read through the entire chapter 8, but I recommend you guys to go and read through this chapter later on today. Read through this chapter and, and, and just see what it says. A couple bold points for that as Paul is asking, what then shall we say to these things is, for one, he starts off in chapter 8 saying, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's, there's now no condemnation. There's no disapproval. God who has justified us, not by our own works, but through the work of Christ on the cross, we are now justified, and our hope lies now in Jesus' righteousness. And so if we have been bought by the blood of Jesus, and we are followers of Jesus— Church, that means that there is now no disapproval that God has against us. Nothing whatsoever. His Holy Spirit that he has sent to come and live in us when he has convicted us and opened our eyes to the gospel, opened our eyes to our sin, we have trusted in Jesus by the faith that God has given us, and he has set us free. He has literally set us free. I'm watching through the, the, the series Lost right now. I'm like on a huge Lost kick. I don't know why. Show's super old. But like they're always just breaking each other out all the time. They're like they're always getting caught and then they're always breaking each other out. 
And whenever they're getting broken out of their chains, they're running away, and they're, they're, they're just the freest they can be, but then they get locked back in their chains. And I'm like, man, how crazy it must be to be in a situation. I've never been like chained up and captured or anything like that. But I'm like, man, what, what a crazy thing that must be, that feeling to be set free after you have been locked up like that on a crazy island. But what's different from that is we don't keep getting locked up. We don't keep getting thrown back in. Once we are free, once the Holy Spirit touches our heart and he regenerates us, he literally makes us alive. He saves us. We, are, we were once dead and now we are alive. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit is the one who has set us free through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. But even though we're free and we're free in Christ, I'll be the first to admit that, man, my heart still longs for Jesus to return. Life is still not perfect. Life is difficult. Whether it be my, my own distractions or, or my own sin or whether it be things that I can't control, there's moments where I'm like, man, Jesus, just please return. Like, return at any moment. Experience loss in your family or your friends or work is, is tough. You don't know if you're going to have a job. You don't know what it is that you're, you're going to be able to do to walk through any of the mess. We long for heaven. Not only do we long for heaven, but Paul says creation longs and groans for Jesus to come and restore everything as well. Something unique is, is, is Paul, you can see at the end of his letter to the Ephesian church as well, is when he starts getting excited and he starts like going into these deep run-on sentences, um, he, it, it, he's just super pumped up and you can't stop. He's in a worshipful mood. He just keeps writing and writing and writing. And so he kind of turns that into this in the last few verses of this passage. And he's really speaking to a cosmic stage. And he's saying that we are all on a cosmic stage. We're the center stage, even though the world isn't technically the center of the universe. We are on a center stage with the, cos the cosmos and everything, all of creation, looking upon to see what God is doing. All the principalities and the powers and the things that we don't see, everybody, everything is looking upon the work of God and what God is going to accomplish. And it groans and it earns for the day for Christ to return and restore all things. And if all of creation is groaning, all things are groaning for Christ to return, our hearts, as people created in the image of God, groan and earn even deeper for Jesus to return. And because of that, we see our sufferings that we go through. But we know that Paul reminds us that our sufferings do not compare to what is to come. What will be the end of this story and what will come? The end of the story has already been written. You go ahead and read through Revelations. It's already been written. It's not going to be stopped. And our hope is not left to chance, but our hope is left to the righteousness of Christ. And his righteousness and what he has done is sure, it is good, and his plan will be fulfilled. And lastly, what we see from the first part of chapter 8 is we are chosen by God to be made like Jesus. God has chosen us before the foundations of the earth. And so Paul is writing, what shall we say to these things? Those are the things that he is speaking of. If all those things are true, again, I encourage you, go back and read that. If all those things are true, and his word says it, then who can be against us? Or in other words, does it really matter what happens? Does it really matter what happens in the deepest pains of our life? Not that those circumstances don't matter. They all matter. But what does it matter in 
um, parallel to our life with Christ for eternity. We have hope in the midst of our deepest pains. We have hope in the deepest parts of our suffering. And as a unified church, we get to share in that together. As we have all been bought by the blood of Jesus, who can be against us? What could possibly happen that can make that more serious than the life that Jesus has given with him, us with him forever? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also be with him? Will also... Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What are the all things? What we had just discussed. If God did not spare his own son so that we would be set free, and if we are set free, then we can trust in the things that God has promised for us. We can trust that it doesn't matter what happens to us in the flesh. It doesn't matter what diseases we may come upon, how sick we may get, what may happen with, with our jobs, what may happen with, with family members, relationships. You know, it allows us to be bold and confident as a church to go and share the gospel with people who do not know Jesus. In our city, in our neighborhoods, even in our own homes, we can be bold and we can live out and proclaim the beauty of Christ to people and to share with them what Jesus has done in our lives because he has already conquered the world and that there is nothing that can be against us. We are set free, not only from our sin, but we are set free to walk in the mission of God. He gives us all things, and he gives so graciously. Or in other words, it's a gift. God gives us this gift, and when we unwrap it, it is salvation, yes, but it is also all these things that we now get to do, and we get to walk in as a church and as Christians without the fear of anything else, because Christ's love, his love runs deeper than all that. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? For it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God and who is indeed interceding for us? Man, that's something that blows my mind. And to be honest, like I can't perfectly describe it to people when the Bible talks about how God has chosen a people and chosen us before the foundations of the earth. I just can't. But what I do know is that God does not live inside of our time constraints. He has created the time for us to live in. And what we do know from Scripture is God's hope for us ever since before the universe was established was that a created people would be conformed to the image of his son Jesus that we would be conformed to his image. That was his plan, and that we would uh, multiply and be fruitful, multiply disciples. That was his plan we see in the garden. We see sin had intruded, and it had what seemed at the time ruined that, but God's plans weren't ruined. For he, he said that there, there's hope coming. This plan will not be diminished. You guys will still be conformed into my image, and you will be a people that I have consecrated and that I have set apart for my good works, and that is still true today. I don't know exactly how God's mind works out for it, but I do know that the Bible has stood the test of time, and the Bible is the word of God, and he shares with us that we have been a chosen people, that his church. And that's another thing, too, is that as we have been chosen church, this is not an individual faith. I had mentioned before of, you know, as I was in the army and as I was a believer, I still wasn't surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Man, there was still a lot of sin I was living in. There was still a lot of things and hopelessness that I was still walking through because I didn't have my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's because God isn't just concerned about saving one person and making it all about Zach. He's concerned about saving a people, a remnant, a group, so that we get to walk through this life as Christians together. And so this passage comes more alive to me more than ever has the more that I get to walk in my relationship with Jesus with you guys, with us. It is a beautiful thing. God has chosen us before the foundations of the earth to be a people conformed to his image, to represent him, to love him. Man, if that's true, he says, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he is the one who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, and who is indeed interceding for us. If it is true that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world to be conformed to his image, to be a people that love him and walk with him, and love one another, and do so in such a way, who can condemn us? He says, wasn't Jesus even killed? The only one who is able and rightful to condemn us is Jesus himself because he is perfect and he is righteous. And guess what? Jesus did not condemn us. He said, I have not come to judge and condemn the world. I have come to save it, to give life to those who will trust in me. Now, yes, there will be a day when God comes and he judges sin. And he judges the nations, the day of the Lord. That's been this, this point in time that scripture has been dependent upon, waiting upon ever since the beginning for the day of the Lord to return. But those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So who can condemn us? Instead of us being condemned, Jesus was the one who was killed. He was the one who was killed for our sins. He was the one only good enough to take on God's punishment for us. And ultimately, he rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and the grave. And he walks and he sits on his throne, and he is in charge, and there is nothing that will ever replace Jesus from his throne. He will never stop reigning as king. Forever and ever, he will always reign. There is nothing that will take Jesus off his throne. And because of that, who can condemn us? Because the one who, who can judge us rightly, the one who is righteous and able to condemn us and judge us, has forgiven us. And not only has he forgiven us, but he says that he is the one who is indeed at the right hand of God interceding for us. Now, I was thinking about that a few weeks ago. You know, man, what is Jesus doing right now? Like, what is God, what is God doing right now? And, you know, the, the, the childlikeness in my mind sometimes goes to like, oh, he's just sitting there chilling, you know, sitting on his throne, you know, the Spirit's out doing the work. And, you know, but I come to a realization that, no, Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is actively praying for us nonstop, all the time, interceding for us. And then the Spirit who lives in us, His Holy Spirit is interceding inside of us, where, again, you go back and read chapter 8, you'll see that at times He prays for us even when we don't have the words to pray. When the groanings inside of us are so difficult, when we go through such a loss in life, when we don't have the words, when the only thing we can do is just yell out or cry, or we don't have the right things to say or even to think about to pray to God, or somebody brings you the worst of news and your heart breaks for them, but you don't know what it is that you can or how you can pray for them, the Spirit is working and interceding on our behalf 
in ways that we can't even imagine. And Jesus on the throne is interceding and he is pleading for us. What does that look like? You go and read John 17, the night that Jesus was going to be arrested on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He has a, there's a whole chapter of him praying for his disciples and praying for those who would come after them. You want to know what it looks like for Jesus to intercede for us? Those that God has called and that Jesus has received and Jesus has saved, nothing and no one or anything will be able to take us out of his grasp. Why? Because he sits on his throne and he is pleading for us. He is pleading for you right now, for us as a church. Jesus is interceding for us. And that will never end. His reign will never, ever end. So now it brings to light even more of, well, who can condemn us? Who can accuse us? Who can do any wrong against us? What, what sufferings can hinder us? What doubt can make us fall? What, what could possibly happen that would make us lose it all? Nothing, because, because Jesus is still on his throne. He is interceding for us. He is pleading for us. And the spirit inside of us is doing the same. It doesn't matter if we don't have the words to even describe it or anything. He is interceding for us through everything. Man, Paul wants to see a church unified to go to Spain. And this is important for the church to know because they would be dealing heavily with persecution. And they would be dealing heavily with even contention within the church. And Paul wants to know the same God who has been promised to the Jews is the same God that has been promised to save the nations that includes the Gentiles. We are one family. And nothing can tear that apart. The differences that we have can't tear us apart as a church family. The things that we may walk differently in in life that aren't salvation concerning, but we may not agree with or we may do something else, whatever, we are bought by the blood of Jesus. Nothing can tear us apart, not even each other, because guess what? Those of us in the family of God, God lives in us. And a family can't be against itself in its own house. God can't be against itself. So if God lives in us, even the differences that we have, we will be unified. We cannot be torn apart. And so Paul wants the church to pay close attention to that. And that is important for us today. In your families, in your households, in your neighborhoods, those of us who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, we have been called to bring this gift, this gracious gift of salvation to those who don't know, who don't know Jesus but we must do so as a unified group. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can tear us apart. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall tribulation rate us from the love of Christ? Shall, shall, I'm sorry, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Literally, of the worst of the worst, what could possibly separate us from the love of God? He says, that is, as it is written in the Psalms, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now I read through that Psalm and um, it's unique because Israel really just lived an entire life of just suffering. I mean, everything that they went through was just suffering. A lot of it, most of it was because of their sin. God would send his prophets to warn them that his judgment is coming. They would fail to listen to his prophets. They would even kill his prophets. God's judgment would come. They'd be like, oh no, we actually need to turn back to God. But then there were some times where even though they weren't living in a particular sin, suffering was still upon them. And so you had this group of people worshiping God in Psalm 44, and they're like, God, like, 
we're calling out to you, and yet you're not hearing us. We're singing to you. We're praising you. We're, we, we haven't committed adultery. We, we haven't walked in these ways because we know that if we have, you would surely judge us. God, you don't hear us. And it's a super, super low moment. He says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. But it doesn't matter what kind of suffering that they have gone through. In Psalm 44, verses 25 and 26, it says, For our soul is still bowed down to the dust, and our bellies cling to the ground. Rise up and come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Their hope was still in God. Doesn't matter what suffering came their way. Doesn't matter who was leading them out like sheep to be slaughtered. It doesn't matter what they were going through. They knew that they still trusted in the promises of God for the sake of your steadfast love, for the sake of your plan, God, for the sake of you choosing a people to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus, since before the foundations of the earth. Because of this, Lord, our bellies will be to the ground. We will worship you. We will trust in you. We will cling to you. Paul uses this as a direct reference to us as Christians. We will go through suffering in such a way to where it will feel like we are being led out like sheep to be slaughtered. Again, contextually, we aren't having to live in the same days as the early church in modern America. Okay? But we are still, at times, suffering in ways that look different from that. Spiritual warfare looks different. Again, the loss of family our own pride, dying to our own sin, unifying together as a church over differences that seem so small on the cosmic scale of things. It doesn't matter what suffering we have gone through. We know we have been chosen by Christ and through Christ. And there's now no condemnation for us. The Spirit has set us free and we are now unified. And because of that, It doesn't matter what suffering comes our way, we can still cling to the hope that we have in Christ. Not only that he has saved us, but he is coming again one day. And we will stand justified before him, before God, before the throne, because Jesus died for our sins and because his blood has covered us. Man, that is, there's no better hope. So what then? Paul goes on to finish. He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Literally everything. Everything and anything. To the smallest atom to, to the greatest galaxy and universe, to the doubt, to the, to the condemnation that our own hearts and minds sometimes speak to us, that the enemy and the lies that the enemy speaks to us, the things that we go through, it doesn't matter what happens, there's literally nothing in existence that can separate us from the love of God. Jesus has already won because he does not condemn us, but he sits on his throne victorious, pleading for us, we, church, we have conquered. We have won and we are victorious because Jesus has won. Man, you know, it's like you're rooting for your favorite sports team. They win, they win a championship or they win a big game. That's your win. 
Even though, you know, I've done nothing. I'm, I'm so out of shape. My knees busted up. I just sit on the couch and eat a bunch of hot dogs. And I've done nothing to contribute to any sports win. But man, I, f- I feel like that's mine. That's me. Man, this is real. We have done nothing to earn what Jesus has given to us, but his victory is our victory. And he gives it to us graciously. He says, no, own it. Church, own it. You have defeated sin, death, and the grave because Jesus has defeated sin, death, and the grave. That's why we celebrate baptism together as a church. We get to welcome people in the family of God into the membership of God. Not just a specific church membership, but our membership as Christians in the kingdom. We can just celebrate that together as people express that through baptism. Jesus' victory is our victory. We have, been, we have been brought to life and we have been buried in our death with our sins. We have been buried with Christ and we have been risen from the grave with Christ. Our victory is because of his victory. We can walk in hope and faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we walk in hope and faith because, or, or, or we do so in a way that we always look happy or Maybe we say, oh, no, everything's fine. I'm good. Nothing hurts. We're still, we're still, I mean, life circumstances are still real. There's moments for us to weep. There's moments for us to get angry. There's moments for us to be so vulnerable around one another. We, we give ourselves, we've not only given ourselves to God, but we've given ourselves to one another. We get to share in the ministry of unifying the church together. You want to know how Jesus works in us? He works in us because he works in us and through us and through our church. We get to pray for one another. We get, to, we get to hold one another. We get to weep with one another. We get to build each other up, serve one another in such a way that the outside world looks and they say, man, what is happening there? That is so unlike everything that we have been accustomed to. And we get to invite them into the family of God. Our victory is his victory. In Revelation 21, man, such a beautiful image. I can't believe like J.J. Abrams hasn't like made a movie about this yet because it would be, I'm sure, great. Probably not biblical, but still the all the stuff you'd set in it would be awesome. I'm on like a movie kick or a TV show kick. I don't know. He's also the director of Lost. But anyway, the the scene in Revelation 21 we see where all races, all different languages, all peoples who are so completely different from one another but who are unified in Christ, are surrounded, are surrounding the throne of God, worshiping him forever. Man, what a beautiful picture that is. We as a church one day will be serving one another. We'll be serving God. We will be working. We'll be doing all these things for his glory, and we will be perfect. We will be sinless. There will be not one ounce of sin in us. There will be not one ounce of pain or suffering in us. We will be working perfectly together and for Christ forever because of his righteousness covering us. That is a picture that we see in Revelation 21. The end has already been, been written, and because of that, we know that we, have already ha- we already have victory. We already have victory. Paul is so sure of this. He says, I am sure that neither death nor life, that none of these things in all creation can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Man, I... Look at our church as an operating base. You know, in the military, when you, when you go over somewhere, they, uh, you, you set up an, an operating base, right? It wouldn't make sense for us to, you know, continue to send people out every day from the United States to go somewhere else. Um, you go somewhere, you set up your operating base, and you work from there. 
Or it wouldn't make sense for a church in Texas to deploy people all, all the time to serve the city of Greenville. If somebody in, uh, in Houston, Texas was like, hey guys, all right, Greenville, South Carolina, that's the place. All right, we're going to do everything we can in our power to make sure that Greenville, South Carolina is reached with the gospel. It would make sense for them to do that for Houston because that's where they're at. For us, our focus is Greenville. Our operating base, our church is set here so that way we can have a gospel impact on the areas that are around us, in our city, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Now, obviously, we still have an influence in churches in Boston and in other church plants, but we have also a bigger impact even on the uh, church plants and stuff right around us in the city as we work together and as we serve together. This is our operating base. Just as Paul was operating to go to Spain, we operate to reach the places right around us. And it must happen that we are unified, that we are a unified church, that we continue to walk in unity together. So what does that look like for us practically? What does that look like for us? Um, because we have been bombed by Jesus' blood, because there is nothing ever that can separate us from his love, because he's always on his throne, he's always interceding for us. What does that look like for us as a church in our response to walk about this week? Well, for one, pray together. Pray together. If you need something that you need prayer for, instead of just saying, hey, can you pray for me? Hey, can you pray for me right now? Or if somebody comes to you and be like, yeah, you know, this is going on in my life. Like, man, my faith is being tested here. And this is really tough right now. Yeah, hey, I'll pray for you. Pray for that person right then and there. Or as a group, pray for each other as a group in your community groups. Man, that you spend time in prayer Pray together. Again, Jesus intercedes for us and he pleads for us and his ministry is always working with us and through us and in us. But he does that in us. He does that in us for each other. So pray together. We need to be reminded, I need to be reminded of these truths, that there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ. We all need it. Pray together. Read scripture together. How do we know what to pray? How do we know how to pray well for people? We read scripture because people in Scripture, we see, even though we haven't maybe gone through the exact same things that they have gone through, we can relate. We can relate in the pains and the sufferings of this life. And most importantly, we receive the wisdom of God and how we can pray for one another, how we can love one another. Pray together. Build one another up. Unify to get each other in prayer. Unify each other through the Word of God. And serve one another. Man, we, we have so many meal trains going on right now. And um, man, that's an awesome thing for our church family to know that we, we don't have to worry about meals because we're going to be taken care of. Or there, or, or there are stories of people saying, man, like, Origins, th thank you for, for, for providing for us because people in this church have wanted to help support people and families and they don't want them to know that's coming from them. So people get to be loved on and they, to be, they get to be cared for. Man, this is what it looks like to serve one another. We belong not only to Christ, but we belong to each other. We belong to each other. And so, man, pray together. Read scripture together. You know, as we have uh, come up with the discipleship groups a couple, month ago, a couple months ago, that it's, it's a great opportunity for us to study scripture together, to stay consistent in God's word. Pray together, read scripture together, serve one another together. As a church, simply, that's what it looks like for us to live this out, to be assured and the love that Christ has for us. What does this look like for our city? Well, same thing. Pray for our city. I, I, I want to challenge you guys to go on our weekly newsletter 
And there are different things that we update here and there of ways that we can pray for our city. Write those down or take a screenshot of it. And I just challenge you, one day a week, just say, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray for our city. God, please break my heart for our city. Help me, help me pray for our city. There's different ways we can do that on there. Second, man, serve our city. Continue to serve our city. We have 14 or 15 volunteers who are regularly serving our city in different capacities. That's awesome. Jump in. Ask questions. Man, how can I have an impact on my city? How can I go and reach people? I have this assurance that the Holy Spirit has set me free. How, how can I help other people also see that this freedom is something that they can hold on to as well? Man, how can I serve our city? How can I be one small part to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, to here in Greenville? And thirdly, ask questions. Ask questions. Serving looks different. You may not be able to maybe show up in person, but you can serve through prayer. You can continue to serve as our church has been super generous through giving and all the stuff that goes for our love the city. You can simply serve by, as what we do in our community groups quarterly, we put together care packages for staff and teachers at Legacy K4. Any way that you can be a part of it, ask questions. Ask questions. Be a sent people on the Great Commission this week in your households. Who can I love? Who can I serve? Who can I, who can I help unify and see unified in the gospel? Maybe it's a brother or sister in Christ that you need to go and, man, you need to have a good conversation with. Maybe there's something between you that you can go and you can ask for forgiveness or you can forgive. Be a sent people this week in seeing the church unified, brothers and sisters unified. Be a sent people in loving one another. Be a sent people in serving and praying for our city. And lastly, maybe you just need to just sit here and be. Maybe you're going through something or, or life is, is super tough. And man, I, I just I want to let you know from, from my own experience, like Christ loves you. He loves you. And there's nothing that will come between you and his love. It runs deeper than the, the worst part of suffering or sin or chaos that could happen in your life. So maybe you're just like, man, I just, I need a season to just be. I need a season to just sit in the Word of God, be around my brothers and sisters. We are here for you for that. I would love to chat with you and point in the right direction to um, so many great men and women in our church who um, love to care and shepherd and counsel others. And lastly, some of your friends or maybe some here, um, man, before Jesus or before you can intervene and pray on the behalf of others, or before you can intervene and serve our city or serve others, man, maybe simply you just need to trust in Jesus, that he may come and intervene in your heart, intercede in your heart for the first time. Or maybe you're walking through that process and you're trying to figure out, man, what does this look like to follow Jesus? Is this something that I want to give my life to? Is this something that um, is true? Whatever it is, we're here for that. We want to talk with you. We want to share our experiences in our life and how Jesus has changed us the same way that you can see the scriptures and how the freedom that we have in Christ also belongs to you as well. Let's pray. God, we love you. Um, thank you for your word. Be with us today. Um, help us feel loved in the deepest parts of our hearts and our minds, in the deepest pains that we would know that you love us and you care for us. It's in your name. Amen.